Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Greetings, and thanks for joining us here for episode 793 with Eliza Knox. Eliza shares six critical shifts to help you turn around an unpleasant work situation. So you'll learn one, how to stay enthusiastic in the face of work hardships. Two, what to do when you feel stagnant. And three, how to engineer serendipity for your career. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've mentioned, please Pay us a visit over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP793. And while you're there, check out some goodies like the Gold Nuggets, which let you get a summary email of the actionable wisdom Aliza shared, as well as unlocking the vault of all 793 of these write-ups. You can find those over at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now, here's Aliza's story. Aliza built and led businesses for Google, Twitter, and Cloudflare. She's a BCG advisor, Forbes columnist, and board director, Called a kick-ass woman slaying the world of tech, Aliza wrote, don't quit your day job, outlining six mind shifts you need to rise and thrive at work as part of her commitment to empowering the next generation of leaders. She's in the top 100 women in tech Singapore and was named IT Woman of the Year Asia in 2020. Now, here's Aliza. Aliza, welcome to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Pete, thanks for having me on. Well, I appreciate you waking up extra early for us in Singapore. And I understand that you celebrated becoming an Australian citizen in an interesting way. What's the story here? So I moved to Australia in the late 1980s, loved it, and decided I wanted to become a citizen. I was eligible after a few years and wanted to celebrate in a big way. As you probably know, converts are always more zealous than people born into things. And so I went out with three friends to an indigenous Australian restaurant and did what I have called eating the coat of arms. So if you don't know, the coat of arms in Australia has a kangaroo and an emu. So I thought that if I ingested them, I would become even more Australian. So I started with a salad that had smoked emu on it and followed with a kangaroo steak. Are these tasty items? Not bad, not bad. Not something I eat frequently, but uh, kangaroo steaks are generally marinated for a while because it can be a bit tough, but you know, not not anything vile to eat. Mm. Well, now I'm intrigued. I like just about every meat I've ever had, <laughs> and I've never had those, so I'm intrigued. Well, next time you come down under, you can probably get them. All righty. Well, I'm excited to chat about some wisdom in your book, Don't Quit Your Day Job, The Six Mind Shifts You Need to Rise and Thrive at Work. Tell me, as you did your research, did you discover anything particularly surprising, counterintuitive, fascinating about people and quitting and their thought processes? The book is written from the viewpoint of somebody who's worked in corporates for over 40 years and does huge amount of mentoring, counseling, talking to people who want help. So it's really anecdotal. So There aren't a lot of statistics, but the one thing that I did find in doing a lot of reading is that even during the pandemic and all of this talk of the Great Reset, the Great Resignation, much of the reason for quitting is the same. So certainly uh, there have been resignations now because of burnout or because people have not been allowed to work from home where it's become more of the norm or because 
as inflation has come in, people are looking for higher salaries. But still, among the top two or three reasons for people leaving their jobs are my manager isn't invested in me or my company doesn't value me. And so those have remained steadfast based on all the research I've read from a variety of firms, including McKinsey and BCG. Mm-hmm. And your own experience. And my own experience. Yep. Okay. Well, I mean, that, that sounds, that sounds right to me. And so I'm curious then if one finds themselves in, in such a position where one or both of those are true, you've got some mind shifts you recommend. How do they go? Okay. Well, let me just back up and tell you the mind shifts are about having a long, healthy, thriving career and not necessarily, despite the title, never quitting a job. It's some shifts on how to think about your career. I definitely think that there are times you will want to leave. The title is a bit provocative in a time of the great resignation, but to be clear, it doesn't mean you should never quit. And I'm sure there are instances when you should. So, but what I do think is that sometimes there's a lens through which people can see their career, which they don't use. And those make up the mind shifts or that lens is the combination of those mind shifts. And that's why this book is for everybody, whether they're in a job now or thinking about getting a job. And um, Kim Scott, who wrote Radical Candor, actually said on, you know, on the back of the book that it proves that mindset, not just passion, drives career success. And so that's why I think these mindsets are really important. So if you will, what I can do is go through each mindset briefly and give you an example. Would that be helpful? Oh, yes, please. Okay. Mm -hmm. Take a little while, but we can talk in between. So the first mind shift is go for both. Your work and your life are on the same team. And what this means is move past the kind of traditional thinking of, oh, it's my work or my life. You know, I have to make a decision. And if one goes up, the other goes down. That's why in particular, I really hate the term work-life balance because it sounds like a seesaw. Like I've got, you know, if one's up, the other's got to be down. And, and I don't think that's the case at all. I wrote an article in Forbes a couple months ago about a young journalist who graduated from Columbia, you know, one of the preeminent journalism schools in the U.S., and did what many people do, went to a small town where she could really cover meaty issues. She went to the South and she was covering things like chemicals in the water, very big deal issues, the kinds of things that get you promoted to larger and larger newspapers, maybe get you a Pulitzer. But that approach takes years of working your way up through smaller town newspapers. And she had grown up in New York, was raised by grandparents, and really felt the pull to be back near them and couldn't see how that was going to fit with this issue of needing to be in smaller areas. And her long-term dream of working for the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or WAPO. And so she eventually said, I can't make this decision, my career or my life, because my life needs to be in New York. So she did what she thought she had to do, gave up on the career part and said, okay, I'm going for my life. I'm moving to New York. And guess what? After not that long, even though she had taken a job that she thought was really fluffy, writing about the real estate industry, not serious journalism, not award-winning she actually was able to work her way into a position where she's now an editor at the Wall Street Journal. She didn't have to trade off my life or my work. 
she actually got both. And by focusing on what was really important to her, she was able to be able to have both things, if you will. So I think this, your life and your work are on the same team. You can do it. You can have it both is really an important lesson. And so I'm curious in that example, did the being in New York, I mean, that was good for her life and it ended up being good for her work. I'm curious, is there a a connection there in terms of because of feeling, you know, connected and energized or inspired or rejuvenated with her her family that was a career enabler or did she just kind of get lucky? I don't think it was either. I think she was observant. Uh, We could talk about serendipity later, but I think she kept her eyes open for opportunities to move around. I'm sure it helped. I'm sure it helped energize her that she was with her family, that she was doing something that was very important to her. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. So what's the next mind shift? So just before we move on, I do think it's important to say in each mind shift in the book, I've got four or five power perspectives and then action steps to take from each one. And in this particular one, there's another interesting point, which is that often people obsess about these choices. They ruminate and ruminate and kind of can't move on. Paralysis by analysis. Which one should I do? How do I do it? What happens if I do each one? And I found that generally, if you take a plunge and move on, that's helpful. And you are usually not derailed by a single career choice right? Whatever she would have done, she probably could have made it into a good long-term plan. And I have another story about a young woman named Emily Rubin, who after college took a job in San Francisco that she wasn't sure about, but it was kind of her only option. She liked it in the beginning, then was really miserable. I thought she should probably stay a year just because that's kind of the minimum time to really get to know a company and be able to tell people, hey, I, I, I did something. But she was too unhappy. So here's one where she quit her job. But in doing so, she found a job she really likes at a mid-sized consulting company called Huron. And she would not have been able to get that job without, even though it was limited, the prior experience at the startup. So it's important. She made a decision. She just got on with it. And while that decision didn't seem wise in retrospect, because she, if you could look at it and say, well, she made a mistake, she didn't like that job. But she did need a job, and that job propelled her to Huron. So I think, you know, an action step for this section in this mind shift is if you're thinking about a choice like this now, think about it as best you can, get some advice. We can talk about personal boards of directors later, get some perspective, and then take a plunge. Okay, cool. All right. Yeah. Well, tell us about the, the next mind shift. Stamina is a muscle. Build yours. Right. Well, I'm thinking about muscles in particular. I went away for a few weeks and over the last couple of years, I've, I've tried to go to a personal trainer in hopes of developing some muscles. And, uh, I'm telling you, I'm feeling my muscles right now. So I think my other muscles, many of them are weaker than my stamina one. But uh, one of my favorite formulas that I came up with for the book, because I really believe it is that stamina equals perseverance plus enthusiasm. I think it's not just gritting it out. It's not just grinding it out. And it is a superpower because no matter how much you love your job, how much you love your career, how 
upbeat you are, how well you perform. I think you're going to have bad days, tough times, obstacles, and stamina is what gets you through them. So an example that I go through, this one, not her real name, is a woman named Barbara who was at a startup. And I met her and she was really disconsolate. She said, I've been head of sales here and I'm being layered over. They're bringing somebody in over me and I'm in my mid to late 20s. I've done this. I'm going to move on. I have to leave because this is just too demeaning and too demoralizing. And I had met her partly because I know the person who was going to be brought in over her. And so I said to her, you know, I wonder if you should hang in there. This person who's coming in is actually a really good guy. He's well known for leadership. He's well known for investing in people. You might want to give it a shot before you leave, because even though you'll have a slightly lower title and you feel like it's a step down, I think he might actually really help you grow your career faster than you will if you keep jumping to places where you don't have someone above you to guide you. And so I'm sure not completely due to me, but she she must have talked to a few people and she decided to stick it out. She decided to exercise some stamina, hang in there. And indeed, she was promoted two times working for this gentleman, uh, the second time while on maternity leave, which shouldn't be something I have to call out, but I still think it's important in this day and age because it doesn't happen that often. And eventually she left that company and she's gone on after two jumps to be the CRO at another quite well-known startup. So she's done really well. And I think by exerting that stamina and getting herself to think about staying, she really had a better outcome than she would have if she had quit her job at that time. So I think this is a great example about using stamina, using patience, and using optimism to hang in there and test out things that you think might have made you want to quit. And if we find that our perseverance and enthusiasm muscles are weak, how do we get them stronger? Well, I think one very common step that is talked about a lot, especially if you ever read anything by Ariana Huffington, is to make some time for yourself that includes sleep, right? Sleep is really important to keeping up your energy and enthusiasm And indeed, for those of us who are aging, I keep reading that lack of sleep is one cause, long-term lack of sleep seems to be one cause of dementia. So I'm sure most of the people listening to your podcast aren't worrying about that yet, but it's starting to be on my list of things to be concerned about. So I definitely say sleep. And for me personally, I go to the gym or exercise every day. And you know, if you're a high energy person, but you also need to vent or remove some of the excess energy or build up some. If you're a low energy person, I really do find having one hour for myself every day to work out is important. And I think for people who get energy in other ways by actually, if you're more of an introvert, being having time for yourself, you know, having an hour every day that you protect and that is something you want to do is really critical to that. And that's a better trade-off than doing another hour of work, even in a in a really driven, high-performance culture. All right, thank you. And how about the third mind shift, connection trumps tech savvy, even in tech? Yeah, so this is really important because I think, again, during the pandemic and working for Silicon Valley firms, we tend to think that 
tech can solve everything. And I think it solves a lot. I think we have a lot of collaboration tools. We have a lot of devices, things that really help us. I listened to one of your podcasts where there was discussion about equipment to help you even meditate better. And I think there is a lot of technology out there that's fantastic. But human relationships are still really critical. And we see this over and over again, back to, you know, how does my manager invest in me thinking about how I relate to people at work? So one anecdote about why they're still important. I tell a story about Susie Nicoletti, a real person who worked for me at Google and then Twitter and is now the head of Asia for a startup called Yachtpo. She didn't get promoted at Google at one stage when she really expected to. She was performing well. She was selling well. Her clients liked her. And she sought some advice from a gentleman who she knew from the outside who was quite a bit more senior. And she said, I don't understand this. You know, here's all these things about what I've been doing. Why would I not get promoted? And he said, well, you know, I listen to you talk about your job a lot, and I can tell that you're great about it and that you really like it and that your clients like you and you're enthusiastic. But one of the things is you talk about yourself and your clients You don't talk about the team. You don't talk about the support you're getting. If I were your boss, I might worry, even though I know you personally and you're not like this, I might worry that you're not really a team player. I might worry about putting you in charge of a bunch of people because you're not narcissistic, but you're coming across almost as if that might be the case. Why don't you think a little bit more about in your discussions and in your actions working with a team? Like, I know that you're doing that, but I think you could emphasize it some more. And she went ahead and did that. And she got promoted the next time. And I've actually since had a chance to talk to her boss at the time. And that was precisely the issue. Hmm. And so Susie was able to get some outside perspective on what was going on. And I think that it's really important, and we can talk about it later if you like, that you create a personal board of directors, that you have some outside perspective on your career. So people can maybe give you insights that you might not be getting directly at work on what's going on and what you might need to do. And in that case, what was really important to her in terms of human relationships is having a sounding board, an effective sounding board with people who know you outside of your job. Yes. What's powerful about that story is that that person actually provided some useful, actionable wisdom as opposed to, oh, that's bull. I can't believe they did that to you. You're so amazing. Yeah, that was really cool of them. That's why, like, I think friends are great sounding boards and probably part of your moral support group. And sometimes if your friends are people with lots more experience or really different experience and have great perspective, then they might be on your board of directors. But you're absolutely right. I think, you know, that, yeah, that's bull and you're fantastic. We all need that for moral support. And especially if we're beginning to get things like imposter syndrome, but they're not necessarily all that effective in the don't quit your day job, uh, really understanding how to build your career aspect of life. All right. Thank you. And can we hear about the next mind shift? Sure. You're in a relationship with your career, nurture it. So it's interesting to me, most of us probably have been in a relationship with somebody or want to be in a relationship with somebody or are thinking about being in a relationship with somebody. And all the reading I've ever done about that, I'm certainly no expert and again, not a psychologist, but it says, don't put all your expectations on your partner. Don't expect your 
spouse, husband, wife, partner, companion to fulfill all your needs. You got to have outside stuff. And I've personally been married for almost 30 years and I have a great husband, but I don't do everything with him. And I have lots of outside sources of things that keep me interested and the same for him. But somehow, at least in the time I've been working, we've come to this point where there's a lot of expectation that our career will fulfill all our passions. It kind of started out with, hey, you know, I got to work to pay the mortgage or pay the rent and feed my kids, get some clothes. Then careers were supposed to become rewarding and fulfilling. And I think that's entirely possible. But then we got to a stage where it's like careers should fulfill all your passions. And I think that's a really high bar and maybe not possible for everybody. I went out to lunch recently with a professor who is an avid equestrian. And I guess it's possible to have a career in horseback riding. I don't really know. Mm -hmm. I've never investigated it. (laughs) I think you can be a jockey. I know that there's a lot of great nonprofits on like riding with the disabled. So maybe there's a career there, but maybe there aren't a lot. And so what this guy does, he also really likes teaching. He's got a great career as a professor. He's picked a career where he has summers off and long winter breaks, and he manages his finances so that he can have a couple of horses and during these long breaks, be places where in he's in a rural area and ride all the time. And then he's also living somewhere where early in the morning or late at night, because he's not required to teach at those hours, he can ride and he doesn't have a commute. So he's managed to say, okay, there are things I care about. And again, back to what you said earlier, Pete, that give me energy that also help me in the other part of my life. And so he's managed his career to do both. That's beautiful. It is a nice paradigm shift to go away from my career needs to be my passion and fill and tick every one of those boxes to my choice of career can support my my passions. And and I think that that's an important consideration as you're looking at opportunities in terms of I don't I don't care to be in the midst of hustle bustle urgency. And I really don't think I would flourish in like deal environments, either like real estate deals Mm -hmm. (laughs) or Wall Street IPO deals, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I mean, just it seems like whenever you're connected to that, whether you're you're doing strategy consulting for the private equity firm who's doing the deal or you're a lawyer who's supporting it or you're the banker who's got some funds. It's it's like nutty. It just seems like there's no way around it. It's nutty. Right. Uh, late nights and and answer your phone and my phone defaults to do not disturb like always. <laughs> so I know I would not flourish in, in in such an environment. And so I've I've chosen the opposite <laughs> right. of that with regard to we've got a media schedule that goes some time in the distance. And the horseback riding is a nice specific example of that in terms of what's important to you, horseback riding, what's necessary for that. We've got some money, some some time off, some uh, home in a rural area. And so I, I like how that's nice and concrete. And though if we think about our own emotional, relational needs with uh, friends, hobbies, family, then, then that can also spark a, a nice little list of extra considerations that might have been totally outside your awareness before having considered this. I think that's right. There's another story in the book about a professor named Marla Stone who didn't get a job she really wanted. So she wasn't doing things around her job like the equestrian. She had a professorship in Rome. There was a more senior 
role in that same foundation. And she applied for it, didn't get it, came back to Los Angeles and thought, well, I want to throw myself into something that I care about. I didn't get that. And I'm back to my old job. And she started working with the ACLU on the side and went on their board, eventually became chairman of the Southern California Board of ACLU. The job in Rome came up again. She thought, I'll listen. It's kind of my dream job. I'm going to apply one more time. I really want to do it. And it turned out that by being on the board at the ACLU, she had more of the skills that they wanted. Originally, she was just a great academic, but they also wanted somebody who understood some aspects of running a business. And because she'd been a chair, even though it was a nonprofit, she'd picked up some of these skills along the way. She didn't go to the ACLU in order to get this job in Rome. It had nothing to do with it. She did it to just say, hey, I want some other stuff out of my career. I didn't get this one thing I wanted, so I'm going to shift gears a little bit and make sure I have something else that's you know really interesting to me that fulfills a passion. And guess what? It came back and actually boosted her into a dream job. That's cool. Very cool. All right. Let's hear about the fifth mind shift. So back to a word you've been using a lot and one that I like. This one is get a move on. Use movement to stay energized and thrive. And this is about movement, keeping you energized, maximizing your value. Movement can be a promotion. It can be moving geographically. It can be moving laterally, which means moving from one role in a company to another to learn something else, like from sales to marketing or from engineering to sales. It could be job crafting. And it could ultimately be leaving your job, quitting and going to another job. So I don't think I've I've used any examples of men so far. So I'll talk a little bit about a guy who I called Tim Liu in the book. It's not his real name, but he was working for a company here in Singapore. He really liked the company and he liked, liked his job and he was doing well at it, but he felt stuck. There were no promotions available. There were no other jobs available. He didn't want to move, really wants to be in Singapore. And he really felt stagnated, felt like he wasn't learning. So he went and talked to other companies. I would call it job dating. He was just trying to see what else is out there. Is there something else that really gets me going, you know, that I'll be excited about or another company? And he didn't find it. So he went to his manager and said, listen, really like my job, really like the company, but I'm stagnating here. I need to learn more. I need something. And of course, that's pretty good for a manager to hear, which is, I can't find something I prefer. I really want to stay here, but can you help me, right? That's a lot better for a manager than to hear a good employee saying, I feel stuck and I'm going to go I'm trying to save them. So the manager said, yeah, like what, what is it? What do you want to learn? And they worked together. Tim really wanted to know more about, in his case, government relations and business development. So the manager helped him craft, add on some extra tasks, mix with some different kinds of people in the firm to learn. And it re-energized Tim to hang out for longer. He eventually, eventually there was room for him to get a promotion at that firm. And so he stayed. So he, in this case, because he couldn't get the movement that he wanted, he was able to ask for it, create it himself with the help of his team. And he stayed, which was great for the firm. There are lots of other ways to do it. I've got 
a good friend who also felt like she was stagnating and she's moved from one country to another. Another young woman, Ling Ling, who was in sales, but loved social media. And so even though she was in sales and mostly needed to be on the phone with clients, she spent a lot of time on LinkedIn building her profile, putting up lots of really insightful, pithy comments, stories, small videos about what her firm was doing. And eventually she was so good at it that she was able to switch into a marketing job at her firm. So all those things were creating movement and all these people are energized and thriving in their new roles. So some have left, some have not, but really interesting ways, sorry, left their role, but none of those have left their firms. Okay. That's handy. And the sixth mind shift? Okay. The sixth one, distant is the new diverse. Include the international and working from home team. So this is one of my favorites because when the pandemic started, I bristled a little at the idea that, gosh, no one's ever done this. Nobody's ever worked from home. Nobody's ever run teams that are dispersed all over the world. That's kind of not true. If you look at people who've been building Asia or Latin America or Europe or the U.S. for a headquarters in Korea, France, Brazil, they've often been in the situation where they're trying to deal with a lot of people whom they never get to see in person, except for maybe a couple times a year. So I call this removing the R from remote to try to make it emote. Okay. And one of my favorite statistics from Gallup is that Companies with engaged employees are 20% more profitable. If you keep employees close, if you keep them feeling good about the firm and feeling engaged, and it does also go back to having a manager who cares about you, but not only, you really have a firm that does better, not just employees who are happy. So one of the things I've seen over time is that, you know, many companies, tech companies, I think do this a lot, but other companies, banks, pharmaceuticals, you know, try to engage their employees by having global town halls or, you know, monthly or weekly video meetings where everybody can get on and maybe leadership will talk about examples of great client wins in the firm or do shout outs to employees who've done great things or gone the extra mile. And you'll notice that companies tend to focus on things that happen in headquarters because that's what the leaders hear first. But if you make the extra effort as a leader or even as somebody on the team To make sure this doesn't happen, if it's an American company, they might talk about Gap or MasterCard. But what about if they think about Uniqlo in Japan or China UnionPay in China, where employees are doing something? Or what about if they don't just call out that Joe's doing a good job, but remember to shout out that Maria Brisa in Latin America is doing a great job? So that really helps bringing in the international or the work from home team. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then as we think about navigating our own jobs, how do you consider the working remotely versus in the headquarters or at the office in terms of career impact? Yeah, I think that's really a good question. I think there's a lot of literature that, hey, we've been really more efficient and effective during the pandemic, and it's because we don't have commutes and we can just keep up all the personal relationships. So I'm a little bit skeptical on that. I think we have been efficient and there probably are better work models. I'm not sure it means we should never meet in person. I think what happened is that everybody drew down on their social capital during the pandemic and that the lack of face-to-face time 
hindered new relationships and in some cases weakened existing ones. We're using these relationships we've already built, but building new ones remotely is harder. So I think a really good thing to do now is to focus on building back that social capital. And that could mean a couple things. It could mean making some effort, even if your company is working from home or working remotely, to get out there in person if you're in the same city or if you travel a little bit to meet some of the people you work with in person. I think another case, if it's all remote, I have a good friend who says, who was in comms at Google, who says, I don't take a meeting, I build, I make a friend. So, you know, just like what you and I did right before the beginning of this podcast, just chat a little bit about things to get to know you. One of the things about Zoom, we all get on, it's 6.30, let's start, let's not waste any time, business, 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 it's seven, let's uh-huh. get off. Maybe, but in a real meeting, you know, people come in and not everybody enters at exactly six and somebody comes in with some Doritos and shares them. There's always that few minutes of idle chit chat or maybe commiserating about the weather that are silly, but that kind of start to build relationships. So maybe you build that into Zoom. And one strategy for individuals is to maybe build a personal visibility plan that takes into account the challenges of remote or hybrid work and includes ways to remain visible and connected. Like, you know, you might decide to try to do a little more than was what was asked, or you could plan for some get-togethers with colleagues out of work, even virtual cocktails to help build back up social capital that's been depleted. Or I think something that good managers do and can do for their teams is to make sure that they're talking to other people in the firm about you and you can repay that favor so that you're visible. People know about you, even if you're not seeing them. All right. Thank you. Okay. Well, so this is some nice mind shifts that can change the way we think about career decisions and perhaps illuminate optimal paths that were previously just not even our conscious awareness. So it's so a really valuable stuff. Let's talk about serendipity because these mind shifts feel a bit, what's the word? Not, not quite programmatic, but like there, there are principles to, to be considered versus serendipity just kind of seems to happen. Right. So how do we think about finding and seizing serendipity? So serendipity, I've always thought of it as something, or originally thought of it as something that just happens, right? You know, there's that famous story about Cape Moss who was an amazing model being seen in an airport in Florida, you know, someone coming up to her and saying, do you want a model? And you're gorgeous. And then going on to being rich and famous. And I'm still waiting for that, frankly. And in fact, I'm I'm traveling next week. So if anybody wants to come to Changi Airport and um, give me the same opportunity, I'm happy for that. (laughs) But I think of serendipity more as opportunity plus action. So a small personal story, I think, I might have mentioned to you, Pete, but I am now in what I would consider phase 3.0 of my career. So if you think of life as software releases or your career, 1.0 for me was consulting and financial services, 2.0 was tech, 3.0 now I sit on boards, I'm writing, speaking, etc. But how did I get from 1.0 to 2.0? Well, I was working at Visa and I at that point was living in the Bay Area and we were working on a deal with Google, which was in some really er fairly early stages in the early 2000s. And I happened to meet Vint Cerf, who was one of the real founders of the internet. Mm -hmm. And in this meeting, we discussed the possible joint venture and I was responsible for what was going on. So I wrote a thank you note and the follow-up steps. And I thought about this and I thought about it for a couple of weeks and I thought, wow, I've just met this 
amazing person who knows all about the internet. I'm an internet newbie. You know, I'm using it for email, but other than that, I don't know much. I've been in financial services for a long time. Certainly haven't mastered it. Not sure I've ever, you know, fully mastered it anything, but, and I like it, but gosh, there's a lot going on. We'd already had the first dot-com boom and bust. There's a lot going on in the world of the internet and I know nothing about it. And I am curious and I would love to learn. So would it be appropriate for me to write to this guy I've only met once and I met through my job? Is it too audacious? So I thought about it for a couple of weeks and I thought, oh, come on, be bold, take the step. So for my personal email, I went back to his work email, which I had and said, hey, Vin, I would love to learn more about what's going on in the world of the internet. And I know I'm a bit older than the people you're hiring right now, and I don't have any particularly relevant experience, (laughs) would Google or someone else talk to me? And, you know, I guess the worst that could have happened is he could have said, ha, I'm going to tell Visa that you're coming after me and it's so inappropriate. But I figured he wouldn't do that. And the second worst that could have happened, which would have been very disappointing, but not life shattering, would have been that he just didn't write back at all. Yeah. But you know what? He wrote back and he said, okay, send me your resume. Let's talk. You know, this might be interesting. And that led to my talking to a number of people at Google and eventually going to work there. And it was so serendipitous. And in fact, so I wrote him a thank you note at the time. And then 10 years later, when I started at Cloudflare, which is an internet security and performance company, I, and now a number of other things, I was watching some videos to get up to speed on how Cloudflare works. And because it's built on the back of the the structure of the internet, the infrastructure, there were videos with Vince Cerf in them. And so I saw him and I wrote him again. I'm like, hey, I don't know if you remember me, but here I am 10 years later, still in tech, thanks to you. And I got another email back. So I would consider serendipity opportunity plus action. So how do you seize that? And I'm sure there's plenty of times, by the way, that I've missed it, right? Mm -hmm. That there's been serendipity right in front of me and I haven't gotten it, but that's one where I did. So I thought, here are the things, you gotta be open There is potential around us. Make a habit for looking at unexpected opportunities. Listen to the people you meet and the conversations. What do they know that might be of interest to you? Do they know someone where you've been thinking about that career? Or did you just hear that their firm is hiring? And even if it's audacious, might you ask? Follow up. If you hear a great talk or you hear about a career path that you don't know anything about, be audacious. Like most of the time, it's not going to hurt you right? The, usually the absolute worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to not get a reply. Yeah. I mean, most people just aren't going to go to the effort to like write to your boss or tell somebody else, hey, How they, dare you? Yeah, you know, <laughs> this person had the guts to talk to me or, you know, make the ask and make it specific. So it's not like, hey, Vint, do you think I could ever do something in the internet? I just said, you know, do you think I could talk to somebody at Google? That's It was brazen, but it was something he could do. Like he works there. He knows someone there. And it wasn't a very big deal to him when I think about it. I mean, I thought it was a big deal, but he's working there. He can say to somebody else, hey, will you look at this resume and see? And then I think the other really important thing to do is to pay it forward. And I tell people this over and over again. People are going to ask you for the same thing. And they're going to ask you for inspiration and for advice. And make sure to pay it forward because you can help other people. And I think it's both fulfilling and who knows, you know, I think there is karma in the world and it, 
it might come back to help you at some point. That's beautiful. Well, now let's hear a bit about your, your favorite things. Could you share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? So my favorite quote is from Maya Angelou, which is, my mission in life is not merely to survive, but to thrive and to do so with some passion, some compassion, some humor, and some style. Okay. And a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Yeah. So I talked a little bit about job crafting, and there's a really cool uh, study by these guys, Laker and Patel, about how job crafting can make work more satisfying that they wrote uh, with MIT Sloan. I think they're professors in England. And then there's another one that Catalyst did. It is an organization that really promotes women in the workforce and super relevant to the times we're in now. And it's called The Power of Empathy in Times of Crisis and Beyond. And in fact, it was part of what I used when I wrote an article called Is CEO Now Chief Empathy Officer or Should It Be? Mm-hmm. Cool. And a favorite book? So I know you're a business podcast, but my I read fiction all the time. So my favorite book is Cutting for Stone by Abraham Verghese, who's a physician, who's also an author on the side. I don't know how you can be that <laughs> talented. And it's a book that follows twin brothers born in Addis Ababa. Uh, and it's about the coming of age of one of them. And also the coming of age of Ethiopia out of colonialism. And I highly recommend it. All right. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? Yeah, there's a tool that's just out in beta that I've gotten access to called OnLoop. And it's a mobile first feedback tool. I'd say it is to team development, what Apple Watch is to fitness. And so it's feedback minus the recency bias. It captures in-moment reflections on yourself or feedback for colleagues and it tags it and it actually helps you. It compounds over time to reveal people's superpowers and blind spots and really helps with writing evaluations, which is something that most people hate performance evaluations going back, trying to remember what they thought about colleagues or, or coworkers. Hmm. Cool. And a favorite habit? Going to the gym or playing badminton. All right. And a favorite resident nugget, something you share that seems to connect and resonate with folks, they quote it back to you often. Yeah, I keep getting quoted back from, I read your book, I especially love stamina equals perseverance plus enthusiasm. That's good. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? Elisanox.com, at Elisanox on Twitter, and Elisanox on LinkedIn. Fortunately, I have a pretty unusual name, A-L-I-Z-A-K-N-O-X. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah. If you don't have one, go set up a personal board of directors. There's a step-by-step of how to do it in my book. And I really think I regret not thinking about it and doing it earlier in my career. It would have helped a lot. And I see it helping people whom I mentor. All right. Eliza, thank you. This has been a treat. I wish you much luck and fun in this version of things. <laughs> thank you so much, Pete. It's been fantastic to be on your show. I've not listen to all 700 plus podcasts, but I'm getting through them and they're great. I'm honored to be included. I really love Elisa's point about serendipity is opportunity plus action. It kind of makes all of life and little moments all the more powerful and impactful. Like you never know what could be around the corner when you're looking for stuff and you have just a little bit of courage to go ahead and ask, go ahead and put yourself out there and see what might happen. Cool stuff from Eliza. Again, the show notes, the transcript, and the links to items we referenced are over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP793. Hope to catch you next time and peace. 
Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.